are so exciting. I haven't preached in this service since July, so it feels like ages. And uh, I've been, you know, I like preaching, but particularly this week, I've been very excited to uh, preach this sermon. It's actually the beginning of a new series. We're doing four sermons, looking at the goodness. How good is the good news? Right, that's kind of the good news about the good news, I think, is the series title. I'm starting it this week. Tom Lowe's coming next Sunday, so that'd be great. It's great to have Tom here with us. And today's passage is a great one, and I'm slightly worried that you're going to accuse me of blasphemy by the time I finish. So look out. There's two verses in this passage which are so good, you might say they're borderline blasphemous. Acts 17, let's get it open. Acts 17, if you want a Bible, there are Bibles at the back of church, please um, grab one of those. It'll also come up on the screens. I'll read to you this passage, and then we'll have a little think about it together. Acts 17, and we're going to go from verse 16. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is in Athens. I'll say a little bit about Athens in a minute. But here we go. He walks around this city, Athens, and he says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So, He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, who is this babbler? What is he trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 17. There we go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, brilliant. 
Let's have a think about this question as we just get into the passage here. This Sunday, we call it Back to Church Sunday. It's not just a St. John's thing. It's kind of an Anglican thing. might be used by other churches. Back to Church Sunday. So as a way into this, this next few moments together, let's think. Why don't people come to church? It's a good little starter topic on your lunch tables after the service, perhaps. Why don't people come to church? Why do we even have, why don't we have to call this Back to Church Sunday? Why don't people just come? Uh, why do we come? By the way, if you have come <laughs> because someone's texted or invited you along, you're very welcome. But be good to think about it for a minute, hey? Why don't people come? Why don't people come anymore? Why do others never come? Could be lots of reasons, but let's just have a look at a few options. People might say, you might think that the truth is just people aren't, people aren't religious. Or people aren't religious anymore. Religion is in decline. Belief, belief in God, perhaps, or belief in the transcendent world is, well, people don't believe that anymore. In fact, they don't believe in much. Certainly not anything supernatural. So if people don't believe these things, why would they come to church? Is that true? Let me offer you a couple of news items, right? Talk about the Athenians. They wanted up-to-date, the latest ideas. Here, I am giving you some up-to-date research. Fresh! This is so fresh. I think it came out last Sunday, in fact, okay? Fresh out of the research closets, wherever these people hang out. In this country, where overall it's true that fewer and fewer people are identifying with a particular religion, right? That's true. But... There is an appetite for faith that's taking a very interesting turn. Here it is. Research published by the Church of England last Sunday found that a new generation of young people, get this, 18 to 34-year-olds, 18 to 34-year-olds are now more likely to pray than people who are 55 plus. More likely if you're in that 18 to 34 bracket. A third of these young people reported that they prayed in the last month. That's more than a lot of vicars. So, <laughs> you got that. So, there is an appetite. Isn't that interesting? There is an appetite for prayer amongst young people that is surpassing the generation ahead of them. Not an isolated piece of research. Here's another one. This came out earlier this year, I think around about Easter time. It was a poll during the pandemic done by YouGov, right? A reputable polling agency, right? Not just the Church of England anymore. YouGov, which found that those in Generation Z, right? Do you know who they are? So people who are now under 25. We've got a few of them. There's a good group of people in this church who are Gen Z. Gen Z, Generation Z, are more likely to believe in God, found this poll, than their millennial peers. So that's my kind of crowd, right? It's the 25 to 40 something, that sort of, if you're above that age, you're in the boomers, I think. So that's what it's called, something like that. Anyway, under 25s, here we are. Under 25s, fact, are more likely to believe in God. And what's more is these younger believers, these 18 to 25 year olds, are embracing a more full fat, more kind of wholehearted, devoted faith than their previous generation. 
So there's a turning in the tide. There really is. There's a searching going on. And I, I found this just, just in the last two weeks. I met up with a couple of store owners. They were probably millennials or just, a, just above, maybe slightly older. Now, they were, you know, quite, typical, quite a typical conversation with them. They were adamant they weren't religious, not religious. We don't go to not churchgoers, nothing like that. But did the sort of classic thing was we're very spiritual people, we're very spiritual people. You know, we're, um, I think they listed, uh, we believe in positivity. It was a couple of... Um, well, I won't say it just in case they identify themselves in the live stream. They said, uh, we're, um, um, we're into positivity, angels, and magic. That was it. They said to me, not religion, but very spiritual. Now, that's quite common, isn't it? Quite common, especially amongst that generation. But I watched, just earlier this week, Thursday it happened, I watched a young man's eyes light up. I kid you not. All I said to him was, do you know what, mate, I... I believe that there is a God who has put real worth, real dignity, real value and purpose in your life, maybe more than you're giving yourself. And I tell you, I said to him, I'm going to go up to that church, I parked that church up there, I'm going to go and sit in that church, I'm going to pray for you. Do you know, of about the hour that I had with him, it was that moment that he was just eyeballing me. I don't think you'd heard that. But it was touching him. The world today, South End today, I don't think it's really that far away from the world in Athens. Paul walked around Athens, right? And he said to them, remember verse 22, he said, people of Athens, you could say, people of South End, I can see that in every way you're very religious. You could say, in every way I can see you're searching. I can see it. You're longing for something. You're striving for something. You're kind of, you're rooting for something. I can see it in every way. What am I going to fix my hope on? Paul saw it. We can see it. Perhaps more now. Perhaps even more now among younger people. So the world is seeking and searching. I don't think you can say, oh, it's just people aren't into religion. In fact, I read a book I wasn't going to say this. I read a book over the summer. It's called um, How Religion Evolved and Why It Endures. It was no one else on the read was, on a book was reading. On, no one else on the beach was reading this book apart from me. And uh, same conclusion, complete skeptic, not a Christian, someone who just wanted to explain religion away, nevertheless came up with the conclusion. It's not. It's not going away. It's on the increase worldwide. It's only, there's only like very small parts of North America and Western Europe where you could say that People who are religious are sort of somewhat in decline, but everywhere else in the whole world, it's on the rise. Anyway, so there's a seeking. So if people are seeking, if people are kind of, they, they're looking for, they're searching for something, then why aren't people coming to church? Maybe, you know, second idea here, maybe it's the fault of the church for not going out. It's quite a common one. Maybe the church just isn't going out. The Apostle Paul here in Athens. This is kind of a real classic text. We go to this text a lot, right, to talk about. Here is Paul going out into the marketplace. You see, he was in the synagogues. He was in the marketplace. He's in the Areopagus in Athens. Just to give you a flavor of Athens, if you imagine in Britain, we've kind of smudged uh, Oxford and Cambridge into one, made it a city. Right? It'd be a bit like that. It's like the intellectual capital 
of the Roman world. Let me hit, with, hit you with a few names. You might have heard of these names. Uh, Socrates, heard of that dude? Plato, heard of him? Um, Aristotle. Philosophers like, like big, you know, the big guns, all did their thinking and produced their work in ancient Athens, about two or three hundred years before Paul was there. So Athens was this powerhouse of a place. And they were into everything. Did you hear that verse where it said they were just, what they wanted there was the latest and greatest, the new ideas. They were there. All they did with their time, nothing but discuss the new ideas. What's the latest stuff? Like a cultural, intellectual capital of the world. And there is Paul coming along. And they called him a babbler. Who is this babbler? coming along, saying this stuff about Jesus and the resurrection. But he's getting amongst it, isn't he? There he is, he's out and about, he's getting amongst it. And you might argue, well, that's why people aren't coming to church, because we're stuck in here. <laughs> we're stuck in here, we like these four walls, we like our worship service. If we went out there, spokespeople, maybe they'd come in here. Paul did it, like that. Well, maybe, maybe. You know, maybe that's true. Maybe there's something in that. But I want us first to see something. This is where my sermon's going, right? This is the heart. We're coming into it now. This is where it could get. This is where I'm on shaky ground, okay? Here we go. I want you to see, verse 16, why Paul is there in the first place. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. You see that? So he walked around the city, he walked around Athens, right? And it moved him. Like literally there in the text, it's like his spirit was provoked. It angered him, it annoyed him, distressed by this as he walked around Athens and saw the religious and spiritual landscape of the city. Now, why was that? We need to feel that. Do we feel that when we walk out in Southend? Notice that he didn't go like this. Right? He didn't walk out into Athens and go, do you know what? It's just, there's all sorts here. There's people, there's a diversity of beliefs there's groups of people over here, they worship at that shrine. They have all these wonderful like cultural practices around their belief system there. And then there's these people over here and they go to the temple and the food and the ritual. And all. Fantastic. You know, and hey, in Athens, we can all just cohabit together. Everyone's kind of very tolerant of each other's beliefs. You know, you worship that idol, I worship this one, I do this, you do that. Doesn't say that. He's moved. He's provoked. Because, and it's clear from the way he speaks, we'll get to it, he's convinced that this city is full of people giving themselves to something that is altogether less than, less than what's fully available in Jesus. Put it like this. Let me put it like this. Just a silly example. And there's a, an allusion to a particular film here. If you get it, you can tell me afterwards. Imagine you walked around South End. And the only thing that people ate was sardines. Now, 
there could be groups of people who have fried sardines, right? And they have this amazing way of frying sardines, making the beautiful sardines fried in the pan, whatever. And then there were some people over here, and they poached sardines, and they made just incredible. And then there was people who boiled sardines, right? And all these people lived together in the city. They had a different approach to sardines, but hey, they found a way to get along, right? You would come into that city and you'd say, hang on a second. There's a world of flavor out there. Have you not been to Tesco's? There's so many other foods out there. Why are you all eating sardines? Do you see it? It's a silly example, but the Paul's like, whoa, hang on, hang on a second. I've got good news here. I've got something to tell you. This is genuinely life-changing. Listen to this. You're missing out. You're running after counterfeit, less than, second-rate idols, gods. When I'm proclaiming here Jesus and the resurrection. Now, here's how he says it, okay? This is how he says it. So awesome. Okay. Verse 24. Come with me to verse 24. We can stick it on the screens. This is the bit. He says, this is the mountain peak of, well, one of them in the passage for me. He goes, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Okay. So first of all, it's like your idea of God is way too small, way too miniature, way too little, way too confined. You're trying to put God in a box, in a temple. Might be a big box. You're trying to box him in, or you're putting him in a shrine, or you're fashioning. Did you hear him say, you think you can make an image out of silver and gold and stone? He's like, no, 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 no. Your ideas here, making God into this thing that you're doing in your imagination, you're boxing him in, making him too small. That's not the Lord. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples. And then verse 25, get this. This is the the mind-blowing verse. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Now, I'm just going to pause there and I'm going to say it again. The living God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Now, I want that to sink in. Sounds wrong, doesn't it? Because we do say in our Christian language, in our Christianese, we say, I serve the Lord. Me and my household... We will serve the Lord. I want to serve God. Acts 17, 25. He's not served as if he needed anything. Here's the problem. The problem was that the people then and people today reckon that God's need to be served and propped up. You need to do that. You've got to fulfill certain things. You've got to live a certain way. You've got to say certain prayers, go to certain rituals in order to prop God up. He needs that. He needs to be served. If you want to keep in his good books, you've got to serve him. Now, I think, this is what I want to suggest today. I want to suggest, right, that the reason people go for angels and spiritual stuff is because they've rejected God or God's 
because they know that gods have to be served. So I'm, I'm going to reject that. I'm going to go for angels and I'm going to go for spirituality and crystals and all that sort of thing because I don't like that idea of service and servitude. Or they go for Eastern religions, another popular option. Godless Eastern religions, I mean that literally, like they're often without a god, they turn to those because they know. If I worship a god, gods have to be served. And I think it's why a lot of people have walked away from church. Because that idea just will not go away. Gods have to be served. I have to serve them. I have to do due diligence. I have to prop them up. I have to make them feel good in order to be in good keeping. Paul says, it is the opposite. He says, this God that I'm proclaiming to you is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. I love that trio. He's like, he gives us life, breath, and, well, everything. Everything. So it is on its head, isn't it? The living God does not need anything, therefore he doesn't need to be served. And so instead, he serves and gives life, breath, and everything. That is what God does. We actually do need it, and he serves us. Now, in case you think that just sounds mildly blasphemous, Paul didn't say it as strong as Jesus. So let me quote you Jesus. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man, Jesus says. He uses divine title. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I don't know if that switch has flipped in your head yet. You may have been a Christian for a long time, but the whole time it's actually felt like servitude. I have to prop this God up. I come to church, I say my prayers, I go to midweek Bible studies, I do all this stuff because God needs that. He needs to be propped up in this way. Brothers and sisters, the very opposite is true. Jesus says, I did not come to be served as if I needed anything but to serve you and give my life as a ransom. So it's not just that God gives us life and breath and everything else. He gives himself as a ransom. And so to be a Christian, really, here's the essence of it, isn't it? It's to know that God's given you life, breath, everything else, and I'm prepared to allow this God to serve me by giving his life as a ransom for mine. This God will serve me in that way. Hallelujah, I receive it. And then church becomes, can you just see in this model, right? Church, our prayers, 
the way we do live for Jesus and walk with him becomes an expression of great thanks and praise and adoration that you've done this for me. You've done this for me. That is the gospel. I wonder, my question, my, my question for me, for us is, is possibly the reason why people don't come to church or don't come to church more, praise God, people are coming to church, perhaps not more because our gospel just is not good enough. We've lost, we've lost that feeling of just how good this gospel is. This is why I wanted to do this series. We've forgotten, perhaps, or we've never really seen the gospel really is astonishing, head, you know, countercultural, like table flipping good news. It turns everything around. We thought we had to serve the gods. And here is the real God who wants to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for many. And when church becomes this expression of praise, you know, that changes the whole dynamic. It's not hard when, when, when the Christian community and the faith community that we have in a church like this becomes so overjoyed with praise. I know that when I go and see a good concert, when I go to something that's good, when I, you know, visit a place, whether it's a museum or whatever it is, you just go, it was great. It was so wonderful. It was such a great time. We had such a great night. Oh, it's on again tomorrow. Do you want to come and see it? I'll go with you. Come with me. Come and see how amazing it is. I'd love for us to know that the Lord has served us in such a way that we can go, it's too good. It's so good. It's, it's out of this world. It's beyond human religion. It's the reality of the living God who loves us. And when you feel that, you walk out into South End and you know, you know with all the searching and the, the hoping and the seeking if it's placed anywhere but Jesus, you are selling yourself short and it moves you and you go, oh, I want to tell you. I want to show you who the real and living God is. Should we make that our prayer? Let's pray together. Just one more verse from Hebrews chapter 13. He never leaves us or forsakes us so that we confidently say, here it is again, the Lord is my helper. <laughs> I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Lord, I thank you. We thank you that the gospel is better than we thought. You're not a God who needs servitude and obedience to prop your own life up. But you've said to us in Jesus, I came to serve and to die and to give my life as a ransom for you and for many. Lord, we receive, we worship you. May that, may that just, may that thinking be deep down in our hearts. May it shape the way that we do everything here in this church and in our life beyond these walls. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.